From Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program on this Monday morning. Hope that you are doing well out there. And in fact, I hope that you're actually going to be thriving uh, this particular Monday morning. And we hope to guarantee that because on the line I have with us Richard Sutton, who is a wellness expert and uh, understands the neurology behind wellness and and uh, resilience and all sorts of other interesting elements about being a whole person. Uh, and he's just written a book called Thrive. So we're going to find out how we can make you more resilient in 2023. And boy, don't we need it. Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good to be with you. Uh, thanks so much for having me. And it's so great to be on Chai again. Um, I have to say, I've got a, a special place in my heart for, for the station and the community. Well, we, we really appreciate it, Richard. And it's great to have you. Now, I have a question. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I was saying, you know, things are so hectic at the moment. It's really crazy. And he said to me, yeah, they are, but aren't they always hectic and crazy? And and I thought I would start off by asking you, are things more hectic and crazy at the moment uh, in particular? Or, or are we still suffering a kind of psychological effect from COVID where we're still freaked out from uh, maybe survive and we haven't quite got onto Thrive yet, even though maybe the environment has changed? I think I think you've summed it up um, in the last in the last piece of your your question, and and that is the environment has changed, and COVID was not the primary catalyst. It was actually technology in the fourth industrial revolution, and COVID amplified the pace. So what was going to take place over 10, 15, 20 years took place over two, um, and I think that that has really unsettled everyone. And fundamentally, technology has exceeded our capacity to handle the world as we know it and as we understand it. And this is where resilience comes in. Unless we develop a whole new bunch of skills um, and refine these skills, it's going to be very difficult to live successfully amid the complexity, the uncertainty, the challenge, the change, and everything that comes in uh, in between. So, so I do think that we we do live in a different landscape, and we have to sh- change the way we interact and relate to that landscape. So, I mean, if you were an American. I would take your your view, right? Like, okay, it's 4IR and I have to now manage my Gmail and my Zoom and my Uber Eat and my Uber Mail and everything together all at once, right? But but we live in South Africa and a 4IR is all very well until you don't have electricity or water or a functioning municipal uh, uh, council. So is there an extra dynamic there where, you know, there's there's other elements that are also sort of playing on a particular South African narrative here? I think we, yeah, we, we certainly have, um, I think the 4IR is, is bigger than, um, our microcosm of, of what our expectations are on an hour to hour basis. It's the geopolitical changes, the socioeconomic changes. Everything has changed in the world. The whole expectation of the world is different and the pace is, um, extremely fast. Um, it's ex- exponentially fast. Uh, but South Africa comes with its own challenges. And, and a couple of days ago, I was uh, consulting to team actually in Dubai. Uh, and we're just looking at some of the pressures that exist in societies and some comparatives. And I use South Africa as a comparative. 
And one of the comparators was just looking at um, income disposal. And we're looking at statistics from 2018 and what our middle class was. And our middle class classified as being those who are earning 40,000 rand or slightly more uh, a month as a family um, sitting around that threshold. And uh, according to this particular, I think it was business tech or something to that to that extent, according to the, the piece or the article, we had 6.7 million people that were in this middle class in South Africa. And we kind of jumped forward a couple of years and we're looking at 2022 or thereabout, we're looking at 1.7 according to this article. And I think that is really kind of this, the, the, the big theme is that there's this huge financial pressure this huge financial burden, um, these shifts that I, I don't think are, are very easy to cope with and deal with. And we know that financial strain as a stress increases our risk, our personal risk of developing depression or anxiety by 90%. And if that is the state of the nation, I think that is one of the, one of the pieces in the state of the nation. Um, I think that, uh, it's, it's difficult, difficult times, but not unmanageable times. So let's just talk then about resilience. Okay. Uh, Something, I think, I mean, my, my thoughts about it is it comes from the computer world, right? It's like, is your, is your computer network resilient when, when, when someone chops a cable off and it and kind of still works? And that's like the old term, but it's come to mean, I don't know, someone you might Im- imagine like an SAS guy running through the mud with like extra boots carrying his four soldiers and, and, uh, and hampers for, for five days and has to get through enemy lines because it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's very cold, but I don't know if that's quite the, the way that we need to be thinking about resilience. If we are talking about 4IR and, uh, and, and the new technology and the new kind of financial pressures that, that people are, 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 are undergoing. Well, certainly the amplifying pressures. So, so I think that the whole issue lies with the fact, um, that the perception of resilience um, has been skewed for many decades. And we always see this Navy SEAL, as you say, running with the backpack on his back. He hasn't slept for 16 days and he's, he's doing extraordinary things. And we see him or her as that resilient figure. But the reality is that figure that we at- attaching or are we attaching the word resilience to, they're showing grit and persistence and determination and emotional suppression in many respects. And that in its truest form, is not resilience because those are fixed traits. You either have them or you don't have them. Resilience is more kind of complex in in many senses because resilience is the ability to adapt, to stress, to change, to challenge, emotionally, physically, and mentally. That is true resilience. And I think if we had to put it into a, a more practical context, it's the ability every time you get knocked down to stand up again, but not stand up weathered and beat it and tethered. Stand up stronger than before. If you're getting knocked down a hundred times, stand up a hundred and one times and better than when you were knocked down the first time. And I think that's the expectation. I mean it's not it's not a negative reality that we're seeing going forward. It's just the state of the world as it is and, and what we need to do in order to thrive, in order to succeed, to self-actualize, to be the best version of myself. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, we, we pretty much created this environment. Um, it's through our genius and it's through our innovation and it's through just the, the want and need for more and more and more as, as, as a race, um, that we've almost created this world that we're not coping with in the first place. So it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting dynamic, but I think the only, the only alternative, or not the only alternative, but the, but the only solution going forward is to better certain capacities and abilities to help us and our families, um, get, get through this world that we're facing. 
Now, now you have in the past differentiated between the idea of a challenge and something that we need to sort of get around and, and the idea of a trauma, which is almost something that needs to be healed uh, in order to, to get through. And given what we've gone through as COVID uh, and people, you know, having experienced the kind of big three of COVID, right? Isolation, financial mishap or, or ill health. Right? Should we be treating that as a challenge collectively that we've now kind of got through and we need to thrive? Or is this actually so big that it was maybe a trauma that we need to do some healing from kind of first? So such a great point that you raise because I mean if you just look at those things, those pieces in, independently. So the financial pressures that persist following COVID, I think that most of us are feeling it. Uh, in fact, I can probably state that all of us are feeling it. That that increases our risk of of mental health issues by the ninety percent, as I mentioned earlier. But we also have to factor in that loneliness and the sense of isolation also increases our risk of depression and anxiety. This time by about eighty two percent. And then we've got the implications of negative health and health affects our perception of the world. And, and that in itself creates a, a vulnerability. So from an emotional standpoint, we, we have been deeply impacted, deeply impacted by the events that have passed. But the problem is that those events were then followed by the civil unrest. And that shook us another, I mean, derailed us in, in its, in our entirety. And a few months later, we are shaken again by the war in the Ukraine. And it's, very likely that will be shaken again repeatedly, whether it's in yearly cycles or 10 yearly cycles, it's no one can really predict it. But I think that yes, uh, some of us who are predisposed to repeating those experiences, reliving those experiences, some of us who had tremendous pain in those experiences have to heal um, and need help and support in the healing process. For others, it was adversity that um, we would prefer never to think about again and just move forward. And for others, it was a growth opportunity where you actually, or the individual, the family, actually through some of the challenges and through some of the pain were able to move forward and evolve themselves and, and refine certain characteristics, emotional, psychological, and some, even physical. Um, so it's hard to to disentangle between the, the trauma aspect and, and the adversity aspect. But I think that in its individual context, I think it's very individual in its context is, is what I'm trying to say. Let's talk molecularly for a second, right? When we're talking about a challenge, something that comes up that now you've had to deal with that you haven't had to deal with before, what is the actual effect on the brain? Because if, or the mind, or however you want to class it, because some of the research that I've seen suggests that we we become we, we we create patterns about how we deal with certain challenges, and that part of this resilience process is actually if we're identifying a bad pattern that we actually need to uh, physically and consciously change the brain's approach to it. Otherwise, uh, we actually aren't able to find new ways to deal to deal with the challenges that are coming. You're so right, because there is this behavioral thing which fundamentally over time can rewire and almost restructure the brain. But you mentioned the molecular piece, and it's it's very interesting because adversity, the experience of challenge over a protracted period of time, and we have been in that in that movie for not a, a protracted period of time, I mean a, a uber-protracted period of time, now, the, the, the crazy thing about protracted adversity is that the increased levels of norepinephrine, one of it's the adrenaline that exists within the brain, 
it's a certain molecule that stimulates kind of fight or flight or, or freeze. So we've got this norepinephrine that is raised for prolonged periods of time. And norepinephrine that is raised will then trigger certain responses in the brain. One of those responses is a, a degradation of the barrier of the brain that actually protects it. So here you've got this, this surface area of the brain that protects it from things in the bloodstream that shouldn't be in the brain. And the increased stimulation and the, the stress and the overwhelm over time would then creates this fragility in this protective layer. And then all of a sudden you've got these immune molecules getting into the brain that shouldn't be in the brain and it triggers a massive wide scale immune response. So the activation of something called the microglia and you've got literally the brain, the only analogy I can get, the brain's on fire. And because the brain moves into the state, then what we see is the molecule serotonin, this critical molecule and cognitive flexibility and emotional stability and intellect and, and many other facets that we hold dear and important this molecule then declines and crashes. And that's accompanied by a reduction in another molecule, which is responsible for the integrity of the structure of the, uh, the integrity and the structure of the brain called brain derived neurotrophactor. And that also triggers a cascade of events where dopamine, the molecule that is responsible for motivation and drive and persistence and goal orientation and the external world that also depreciates. And I'm not going to go into every possible kind of overflow in every interaction, but fundamentally, we see a change in our motion, we see a change in our cognition, and we also see a change in our aptitude and potential in situations and realities. So we have these molecular changes, and they can be rectified through health behaviors and health practices, but those changes induce shifts in behavior that become very defensive, become much more insular, disconnected. We start becoming much more volatile, reactive to the outside world. We don't see clearly, we don't think clearly, and, and that could become our new reality even once that's been restored and, and that's been returned to normal. So. So it's very important that we we mindful of these shifts. We remedy the shifts through health practices and health behaviors. And at the same time, we also shift our our, our mindset to a certain set of behaviors that are, are critical towards uh, the return of of who we are and what we want to be in the future. You're listening to 101.9 High FM, and I'm talking to wellness expert and author Richard Sutton. He has just released a new book called Thrive, and we're talking to him about how do we thrive in the current challenging environment. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Hi FM, I'm Benji Shulman talking to author Richard Sutton today about his new book Thrive and what we can do uh, to keep thriving in the difficulties that we are having at the moment. And Richard, just before the break, you, you mentioned, I think, something crucial. The first was uh, around uh, sort of mental things that we need to start doing to start thriving. And, and the second one is around behaviors because, you know, you need to change certain things that you're doing. And I think I always look at, I'm assuming the kind of high performance people that you deal with all the time, whether it's people who are athletes or CEOs or, or whatever, and they're waking up at 5 a.m. and doing 12 hours of yoga and still managing huge teams. And I always think, wow, you know, I can't even get out of bed in the morning and like get dressed and get to the office on time. So, and I'm assuming that's because they have better behaviors than I do. So what are some of the things that we need to be thinking about to raise our performance so that uh, whatever challenges we are facing, we're dealing with them a lot better? So I think our stress coping strategies have to become um, more refined uh, because stress is so pervasive. So we can take a, an approach where there's an immediate stress coping strategy where we take an, an inhale and inhale again and an exhale. And by doing so, we can actually mitigate and, and reduce the immediate experience of stress for the next five minutes. So very, very simple. 
Uh, we can also take medium-term stress. We've got stress over several days, and we know that we're going to have challenges in this period. We can do slow-controlled breathing for two, three, four, five minutes. And slow-controlled breathing is simply breathing in for a period of five or six seconds, breathing out for a period of five, six, seven seconds, or box breathing, five in, five hold, five exhale, five hold, five in. There's so many different strategies. And and in the extreme situations, we can even go for cold exposure or sauna. Often the heats, the, the contrasting heats are, are very good for extreme situations. And reaching out and, and asking for support is, is critical. There's a whole strategy that goes behind it, but I've just given you a couple of ideas. So I think that stress regulation has to be part and parcel of our daily routine. It's not something we should be doing weekly or monthly, but daily, every single day, shutting down and regulating our stress responses because of the pervasiveness of stress. But then we also have to start switching our mindset, switching our mindset to see opportunity in the adversity. And this is one of the big skills that, that many of the world's highest performers have is when you do experience a failure and a setback and a disappointment, and which is pretty much every single day for all of us, um, it's the, the ability to kind of relook, take a step back at that situation and say, what can I learn from this? How can I improve from this? How can I grow from it? What did I do wrong? What did I write? And what did I learn? And every situation becomes much more analytical and less emotional. So you're disentangling the emotion from the experience. And that talks to the next point. And then the next point is, is fundamentally what creates resilience in all of us is, is fundamentally self-awareness and self-control at the, at the end of the day, deconstructed. And if we dive in deep and the more we understand ourselves and the more we're able to determine our responses in any given situation or, or modulate our response in any given situation, situation the, the better the outcome will be in time. And to, to simplify and make it practical, I always use this kind of this, this saying is that your response should be gauged on what the outcome you want to achieve should be. So if I want the outcome to be X, I've got to think, behave and act and uh, emotionally connect to that situation in a very specific way. And often our default response is, is very emotionally driven. And, and often the emotions and our responses, we can go back to our childhood, we can go back to our teens, and we can almost find the, the root of our responsiveness to difficult situations in those formative years. Whereas that kind of approach and, and that form of, of almost human software might be not that, not relevant and, and certainly outdated. So so I, I feel that the, the many behaviors, um, what I've defined or what I've, I've given a context to is, is very much about reappraisal, cognitive reappraisal, and seeing the opportunity in the crisis, even though it's hard and it's upsetting and it's, and it's difficult at the time, but there's always some sort of gift that, that's embedded in it. And the other thing is, is a growth in self-awareness and self-control. And, and that is, is making every, every action should, be in response to what you want the outcome to be. Um, so those are, are two behaviors that, that will hold one in particularly good stead combined with um, the stress management strategy as well. Where do you sit on the role that emotions play in uh, and, and, and thoughts play in, in how we're addressing problems? Because you know, there is a school of thought that says, well, emotions are just there. They don't actually play a real role in your in, in in your situation it's nothing more than a a warning light about your body saying what you kind of what you should be feeling but there is a um a sort of uh, uh sense in which sometimes people take emotions on in a challenging situation they blame themselves they uh blame other people they just get angry and 
and it sounds in some respects like part of what you're suggesting from a wellness perspective is that the key here is actually to de-emotionalize yourself from your emotions so that you're not really acting with in accordance with your emotional situation. I, I think it's it's a great point you raise. And I think what I'm saying is that in, intellect should dominate emotion in, if you want to become resilient in, in this world that we, we all live in. So intellect should be the prevailing um, the prevailing theme in, in any response or prevailing aspect in any response. But, but it's, it, it's kind of a, we can take it a few steps forward because what we also don't want to do is emotionally repress because that ultimately comes out in, in many ne negative forms later down in the road. So the first, I think the first step in any difficult situation is the acknowledgement is to actually say, yes, this is very difficult. Yes, this is unpleasant. Yes, this is painful. Yes, this is hurtful. Yes, I'm scared. Yes, I am worried. I'm petrified to acknowledge the experience, to have that acknowledgement. And deal with that experience momentarily. And then the next step is say that I'm not an object that is acted on by forces larger than myself. I'm actually a subject who chooses path and, and, and destination. And what I choose to do ultimately will culminate in the outcome or will ultimately manifest in, in the outcome that hopefully that I'm aiming for. And it's, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. It's going to require courage and strength and everything in between. But you know, if we if we can approach our, our difficult situations, and and I've I've been subjected to many in the last couple of months, I've made some major moves in my life, and I've had to draw on many of these skills in order to help me overcome some of the overwhelm, some of the challenges. And what I can say with confidence is is it does make a, a tremendous difference. It does refine you as a person, and I think that's what it's about. Is it's not about how you engage with the outside world and how you cope with a situation momentarily. It's about who you become by taking on this commitment to become more resilient and transform the world. And, and one of those, just there was another aspect that I thought you, it was so interesting that you mentioned. I'm sorry, it's too many things that are going at once. <laughs> but, but that aspect was our self-dialogue. Our self-dialogue is often very negative. We are very self-critical. So we're facing an adversary in the outside world, whatever that financial pressure or it's conflict or it's work-family conflict or it's high demands or long working hours or it's uncertainty or whatever it might be. And we're facing this as a reality. And we, we have got to navigate the space. It's what should we do? How should we approach it? Where do we go from here? That, that should be where our, our focus should lie. But instead, we're beating ourselves up. How could I have missed it? How could I have made this mistake? Why me? Why now? And this, this dialogue just becomes ever, ever louder and ever more consuming to, to the extent that it compromises our ability to make decisions that will help us move forward in life. And I think this is one of the big lessons in that piece called metacognition, self-awareness and self-control. And that, that big piece is if we are able to control our dialogue and not beat ourselves up and not self-flagellate and not criticize ourselves beyond any me measure that's reasonable, and support ourselves, be our own self-coach. And yes, you've you've made an error. Yes, you didn't see this coming. Yes, you've you've got into the situation, but you will get out. You have got out before. You know, you believe in yourself, trust in yourself. If a dialogue, even if we feel it's inauthentic at the time, repeated these positive self-dialogues repeated have have transformed lives. In fact, uh, tennis great Novak Djokovic um, is the master of self-dialogue. I mean, this is his strength on the court, and this is why he's been at the number one uh, slot for 368 weeks, so the, the rec a record that I don't think will ever be beaten in the greatest era of tennis. And one of his superpowers is self-dialogue. Whenever he's behind, he will remind 
himself of is there and how hope and not lose hope and not to lose focus and he's he's a brilliant he's masterful to the extent that 83.3 percent of the time he'll win the match once he starts this self-dialogue process so i think we've got we've got so many kind of vehicles and so many levers um that we can leverage off in order to to be the best version that we can be yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, that that self dialogue thing is crucial. I mean, the, the other element which I think is very interesting um, and 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 worthwhile is is when people went through, particularly again the COVID experience, suddenly they had the chance to realize all sorts of things about their lives and about what uh, what what was going on. But to make the changes that you need to do. Uh, to be more resilient, some people realized they had to move, move jobs. Some people realized that there were family members who they suddenly didn't want to be around or wanted to be around more of. There seemed to be also a lot of fear in the decisions that people had to make. And so before they were starting, it was being shut down by, uh, by, by things, you know, that they were worried about what happens if there's a civil war? What happens if there, you know, things collapse? So I also feel like some of the, the decision making processes also wrapped up in some of these, uh, self-talk uh, emotional issues which then get in the way of, of taking the, the actions that you're talking about in terms of people wanting to be where they need to be so i think fear fear is as as stress is pervasive so is fear um I, we 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 consume by it uh, we live according to fear and we go back to our, our teens or late teens or early 20s we're fearless we're courageous and that, there was no issues we had we had no, almost, we had more challenges than we probably do as adults, but there was no worry in the world. It's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing to reflect on. I don't know if it was the time I grew up in. I don't know what it was, but there was this courage, this inherent belief and, and we lose it. The, the more we have to lose, the safer we play. But the reality is that to be successful in this world, we need courage. We need the courage to fail more than anything else is the acceptance and the courage to fail because we are going to fail multiple times. And as Winston Churchill said, it's not failure. It's, it's you know, success is, is not about accomplishment. Success is going from failure to failure without any loss in, of enthusiasm. So I think it's the courage to fail that, that is the first step and, and the courage to act, the courage to act if in something we believe in and to find conviction again. And here's the interesting thing about stress. You know, I, I kind of mentioned stress fight or flight, but it's, it's actually not a hundred percent accurate because we don't have a fight or flight response. We have a fight, a flight or freeze response. It is not natural for the human being to to actually confront issues. We want to get out of there. That's our natural response. And there's this very specific region of the brain that when activated is able to engage this courageous fight response. And this region's currency that it operates off is a molecule. So here's kind of the deconstructed uh, argument is that if we stimulate to increase this molecule that this region of the brain operates on, would we not have the potential to be more courageous? And the answer is yes. And this molecule's name is oxytocin. And oxytocin is expressed and released in response to human interaction. The more we support others, the more we care for others, the more we empathetic, the more we compassionate, the more we engage with our community, the more we engage with our friends, the more we engage with everyone around us, the more we express this molecule. It's the most amazing molecule. It's the only hormone and neuropeptide in the body that actually responds this way to human interaction. The more courageous we'll be. And and what's happened in these times is that we're becoming more and more insular. And this is fueling this, this fear crisis that, that we're living in. So my suggestion is that we 
you need to do two things. One, engage and connect and support and, and kind of reunite in the world. That's step one. And the, the second step is, is the courage to accept that failure is part of a, a journey, part of a, a journey towards growth and, and ultimate success in life. Certainly, I think a good way to uh, end off this interview, Richard, if people want to get your book, uh, maybe see what you're, what you're doing with it, what's the best way for them to do it? Uh, so it's pretty much available everywhere online. Um, it's in store. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's only released in South Africa for now. It's released overseas will be in the next six to eight weeks. I'm hoping, um, just uh, a couple of, uh, things that we, we need to put in place before it gets released overseas. So locally it's available everywhere. You can also go onto my website, suttonhealth.co.za. Um, just there uh, might be some more information that might be useful or helpful. And, uh, I'd, yeah, I'd be really grateful if, if you would get yourself a copy and, and immerse yourself in it. And, uh, I see that, uh, for our listeners that are down in Cape Town, you're, you're also going to be at the Jewish Literary Festival, uh, coming up in March. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm so excited for that. Um, I've been looking forward to it. Uh, it's, it's going to be great and be talking about these and other themes and expanding and, some kind of uh, storytelling around some of these concepts and how we can apply it to our lives. So that's uh, something that's, that's very, very uh, highlighted on my my calendar and and absolutely thrilled. Yeah, so certainly uh, not a bad option to be down in Cape Town discussing books in March. Uh, that's that should be a de-stressor, if nothing else. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for joining us once again on High FM. It was a real pleasure having you, and uh, good luck with uh, with the book and with your work that you're doing in this area. Thank you so much, and, and thank you for your time. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the New Blue Review.